What a beautiful, sunny morning. We've been waiting for this. It's good to have you with us this morning. We've been going through a series called The Empowered Life. And as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen how the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life because none of us can live the Christian life in our own power. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles this morning, you could open up to Acts chapter probably five. We're going to kind of be skipping around a little bit. But would you to start with, would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for this beautiful day. And I thank you for each person here this morning. We thank you for your word. Oh, Father, we know it's true. We ask, Lord, that you'd open the scriptures to us. Lord, you'd help us to understand the scriptures. And that your Holy Spirit would speak into our heart and would move throughout this congregation. We ask that you give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. And you give us grace to apply what you show us to our lives. We ask for your blessing now upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to start off this morning with a question. How many of you would like to be more bold You'd like to be more courageous. You'd like to be more bold in taking a stand for Christ. More bold in sharing your faith. More bold in taking a stand for what's right. Well, I know what you do. And if that's your desire this morning, I believe that's a good desire because God wants us to be bold. Throughout the Bible, God tells us to be strong and courageous. Proverbs 28.1 says, The righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, that's pretty bold. I mean, think of a lion. He's the king of the jungle. You know, I've never heard of a timid lion. Unless you're old enough like me to remember the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. You remember that movie? Uh, they've, made it, they've made it over many times, but there's the scarecrow, the tin man, the cowardly lion, Dorothy and her little dog Toto. I think Toto must have been from Japan. But you remember, they, they, Dorothy and the little dog go up in the tornado. And boy, I remember seeing that as a kid. It gave me nightmares. I mean, think of how scared that little dog must have been going up in that tornado. The only thing scarier for a little dog would be to fly on United Airlines. <laughs> now, listen, I'm sure United Airlines is a great airline. They just had a couple rough days with dogs, that is, anyway. But anyhow, there is a scene, there's a scene in the movie when Dorothy bops the lion on the nose and says, you're nothing but a big coward. And the lion says, I know, I know, I've always known it, but how can I help it? Being a coward is my great sorrow and makes my life very unhappy. Well, maybe you can relate because like a lion, we know we're supposed to be bold, but so often we're not. And if you're like me, instead of being bold, there's been times when you've shrunk back in fear and you feel bad because you know God wants you to be bold. You know he wants you to be courageous. But like the cowardly lion, you've said, but how can I help it? Well, there's good news. This is one of the very reasons why God gave us the Holy Spirit to make us bold, to give us courage. Boldness is one of the first characteristics the Holy Spirit gave the believers after Pentecost. Think of it. The disciples had been hiding in fear of the Jewish authorities. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them. 
And those formerly terrified disciples became fearless preachers. Those who were hiding in fear became as bold as lions. Think of Peter. Think of his transformation. Before Pentecost, he was so weak. He was so timid, afraid of the crowd. He swore and denied that he even knew Christ and was shamed by a little servant girl and took his place with the enemies of Christ. But see, Peter, after the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he's as bold as a lion. Look at Acts 2.36. Peter stands boldly before the same authorities who had crucified Jesus. And looking into their faces, unafraid, he says to them, so that everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter the wimp was transformed to Peter the rock. And the question this morning is this. How can we have this same boldness? What does it take? How can we have this courage and confidence that we see the disciples had in the book of Acts? Well, as we continue our study of the Holy Spirit, there are several things in the book of Acts, several things that you and I can apply to our lives that I believe will help us to be bold and courageous. First, we see the disciples were filled with a new conviction and filled with a new hope. What was it that gave them a new conviction? What was it that gave them a new hope? Well, actually, the enemies of Jesus give us the answer. In Acts 4.13, it says this. Now, when they, speaking of the religious leaders, the the enemies of Jesus, says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. For three years, the disciples had been with Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, they went. They saw him heal the sick and the crippled. They saw him open the eyes of the blind. They saw him cast demons out of people. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him walk on water and calm a raging storm with a single command. They heard him teach with authority like no one has ever taught before. And they saw him die on a cross for the sins of the world. And they saw him alive from the dead. And they were absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And that his death and resurrection offered the only hope for this lost and dying world. Now think of it. If Jesus hadn't have died on that cross and rose from the dead, there's not one glimmer of hope for this world. Not one glimmer of hope. But he did die on the cross. And he did rise from the dead. And because of that, we have hope. Think of the hope that we have. We have the hope that one day Christ will return to this earth and rule and reign. And he's going to fix this mess. The Bible refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ as the blessed hope. We have the hope that one day he's going to return. We have the hope of eternal life with him. We have the hope of the resurrection and a hope, the hope of a new and glorified body. Now, you know, the older you get, the better that sounds. Some of us older folks, we look in the mirror and we go, that, that ain't no glorified body. <laughs> but when Jesus returns, we're going to have a new body, one that'll never break down, one that'll never get sick, one that'll never die. 
What a hope we have. We have the hope of heaven. Think of it. No more war. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more cancer. No more tears. The Bible says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. What a hope we have. And we're the only ones who have it. Atheists don't have it. No God. No hope. Muslims don't have it. Buddhists don't have it. No other religion has it. Only those who have faith in Jesus Christ have hope because only Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead and conquered sin in the grave. And that's why Peter stood up and boldly declared in Acts 4.12, he said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus. The only name we can call upon to be saved. There is no other way. And if we really believe that, if we really believe it, then we must be bold enough to share it with those who are lost. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. That hope ought to make us bold. How do we get the same conviction that the disciples had. I mean, they were with him three years. We can't do that. But we can, we can have conviction the same way they did. By spending time with Jesus in his word and in prayer. Are you spending time with him daily? And then secondly, we see the disciples stood together. And that gave them boldness. Now, over and over again in the Bible, God says, do not fear. Do not fear, for I am with you. You remember Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? When they were thrown into the fiery furnace, God was with them there. He was with them in the fire. But when thousands bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue, when all the people bowed down, Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego stood together. They stood shoulder to shoulder and they drew strength from one another. Yes, God is always with us through the Holy Spirit, but he also wants us to stand together. You know, that's what those first Christians in the book of Acts did. They stood together. Remember in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers at Pentecost, there was a violent wind, flames of fire, they were speaking in tongues, and all the people were amazed. But some of the people mocked, and they made fun, and they said, oh, they're just, they're just all drunk. But then in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, we see Peter stand up with the eleven and boldly speak to the crowd and tell them about Jesus. Notice it says, but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice. Peter didn't stand alone. He stood with the other disciples. They stood together. And they boldly preached the gospel. Thousands believed, and by the power of Jesus' name, the sick were healed, and the church grew daily. But the Jewish religious leaders were filled with jealousy. And they ordered the apostles to stop speaking about Jesus. They said, don't speak anymore in this name. You stop telling people about Jesus. And they threw them in jail and had them whipped and beaten. How did the apostles respond? Look at Acts 5, 28. Now the, the apostles are brought in before the Sanhedrin. And here's what the high priest says to them. He says, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. And yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. 
What boldness. What courage. But notice again, in the face of this persecution, Peter and the apostles stood together. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered. They were standing together. We must obey God rather than men. And they kept on preaching in spite of the threats. And they were persecuted. They were imprisoned. They were flogged. They lived a life of hardship. And you know what? If we want to take a stand for God, if you really want to take a stand for God, you too will be persecuted. The Bible says all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, we may not be beat up or flogged or whipped or put in prison or martyred. but We'll be mocked for our faith. You may be made fun of because of your faith. You may be insulted because of your faith or dismissed because of your faith or just marginalized because of your faith. Have you ever experienced that? That ever happened to you? If you take a stand for Christ, sooner or later you will. But here's what we need to know. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says, because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus says, blessed are you twice. You know, you can interchange that word with the word happy. So Jesus says, happy, happy are you when people persecute you. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. And if you look at the end of Acts chapter 5, after the apostles were whipped and beaten, do you know what they did? They rejoiced. They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. You know, I've never seen the spiritual battle that rages all around us more blatant and in your face as it is today. And you know what? God doesn't want us to be in this battle alone. We need to stand together, united, bold, and courageous. Now, of course, God strengthens us, but we also draw, we also draw strength from one another. Billy Graham once said this. He said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And you know, that's true. We draw courage from one another. Now, later as we go through Acts, we'll see how Paul, the Apostle Paul, always had a partner in the gospel. Partners like Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, and others. And you remember Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. He didn't send them out alone. We're not in this battle alone. We have fellow soldiers, and we can do a lot more together than we can apart. But that's why Satan tries to divide us. So we must stand together, pray together, and be aware of Satan's schemes. We must march together. We're stronger together than we are apart. We're not to be solo Christians. God wants us to stand together. And then if we're to be bold, we must pray for boldness. That's what the church did, this, this early church in the book of Acts. They prayed for boldness. Satan's plan was to silence the apostle, apostles, and that's his plan today. It hasn't changed. Have you noticed there's a growing hatred toward Christians? A growing effort to silence our witness? In all these centuries, the devil hasn't changed his tactics. 
He brings persecution in various forms to make us fearful and to silence our witness for Christ. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Nick spoke about how the church came together in chapter 4 to pray because of the persecution. And you remember that prayer meeting? How they cried out to God? Let's look at it again. Here's what they prayed in Acts 4.29. They prayed and they said, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness. Boldness for what? To speak the word of God. You know, I looked up the word bold in the Greek. Do you know what it means? It means bold. That's what it means. It means courageous. But it's always connected with speech in the New Testament. You see, the Greek meaning refers to speech. It means all out bold speech. To preach or to speak boldly with courage. Now, of course, we're not to be rude or obnoxious or proud, but rather to speak boldly and fearlessly Speak the truth in love. Our bold speech is to be gracious and tempered with love. Now, why did they pray for boldness? Why did the church pray for boldness? There's only one reason. They were scared. They were afraid. And they had to come together and cry out to God and say, Oh, God, make us bold. Have you ever been scared to speak out for the Lord? Have you ever been afraid? Maybe you had the opportunity to say something, but you shrunk back in fear. I know I have. Now, as we continue through Acts, we'll see the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel boldly. And you know, it's hard to imagine the great Apostle Paul ever being fearful. But you know what? He was. He got scared. There was times he was fearful. Listen to what he said to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2. He said, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Paul said, I came in weakness with great fear and trembling. You wouldn't think that of the Apostle Paul, would you? Paul experienced fear. So you know what Paul did? He prayed. And he asked others to pray for him. And he asked the church in Ephesus to pray for him that he'd be bold and that he'd declare the gospel fearlessly. Listen to his prayer request in Ephesians 6, 19. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly or as in some translations say boldly. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly or boldly as I should. Paul prayed that God would make him bold and courageous. And of course, God did. Paul never let his fear stop him. We mustn't either. But we can pray and ask God to make us bold. You know, years ago, a friend in the church asked me to go with him to OSU and to share the gospel with students. 
And here was the plan. We were just going to go out and just go up to students, meet them, start talking to them, and share the gospel with them. Now, I had shared my faith before, but I'd never done anything like that. I want to tell you, I was scared to death. My knees were knocking. I was sweating bullets. I was so scared. And but the guy I was with, his name was Chris, and he would engage students, and he began to share the gospel with them. And I just sat there and listened, so paralyzed by fear I couldn't say anything. And I remember one time he just asked a simple question trying to draw me into the conversation, and I didn't even know what to say. I was just so shook up. And I remember coming back from that time and saying, oh, God, I don't want to be this way. I don't want to be afraid to speak out for you. I don't ever want to be ashamed of you. And I prayed. I remember I said, I said, Lord, make me bold. Give me courage. Help me to, to, to have enough courage to speak out for you. And I remember I memorized Isaiah 41.10, a promise where God says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. It says this. So here God says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, God says, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I would claim that promise. And I'd ask God to make me bold. But you know, this isn't just a promise for witnessing or for speaking out. We have all kinds of fears. This applies to every type of fear we have. Oh, we're so fearful about so many things. We can worry about so many things and be anxious. And God says, don't fear. Do not fear. I'm with you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know what? Through the years, God has helped me to be more bold. He has given me courage. But there's still plenty of times when I get scared and I have to pray. I have to get on my knees and say, Lord, help me. Help me to be bold. And God gives us boldness and courage through the Holy Spirit filling us. And then fourthly, to be a bold witness, we must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, when the church prayed for boldness, God answered them by filling them with the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, each time we see Peter and the apostles preaching the gospel boldly and fearlessly, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit seems to be the common denominator. You go all the way through Acts and you'll see when these men were standing up preaching boldly, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this was also true of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. We read in Acts 6, 5 that Stephen was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at Stephen in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. It's a little bit lengthy, but we do want to look at Stephen. So here's what it says. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. But opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. 
For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw this face was like that, the face of that of an angel. So what they do, they gathered some scoundrels, some bad characters all together to lie and to make up a false story about Stephen. By the way, this is the first recorded instance of fake news. This is where it all began, right here. But now to answer these accusations, Stephen launches into the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. In fact, it might be the, recorded, it might be the longest sermon in the entire Bible. I don't know. But it's that some of the older guys in the Sanhedrin, I can see them probably excusing themselves to go to the bathroom. That's how long the speech is. But Stephen starts with Abraham. And then he works through the entire history of Israel. His sermon is literally the Old Testament in a nutshell. He speaks of Moses and Israel's relationship with God. And he shows how the Jews had constantly rejected God and his prophets. But then Stephen turns on the religious leaders. And he shows how their rejection of Christ was just yet another example of Israel's rejection of God. Well, needless to say, that didn't go over too good. Now, let's pick up the story as literally Stephen rips the Sanhedrin. Acts 7, verse 51. Now, realize Stephen's talking to the same religious leaders who had condemned Jesus. The same guys who had Jesus whipped and beaten and nailed to a cross. And here's how he begins. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he says, you stiff-necked people. And that's what he says. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but not, have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Sound familiar? Sounds like Jesus on the cross, doesn't it? It sounds like Jesus on the cross when he cried out and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And as Stephen was dying, filled with the Holy Spirit, he prayed, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Now, can you imagine that? Asking God to forgive those who are throwing stones at you when you know you didn't deserve it. Such a loving, forgiving response comes only through the Holy Spirit. There's no other explanation. You see, the Spirit gives us power to love people that we couldn't otherwise love. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's the fruit of the Spirit produced in our lives. 
And He fills our heart with love. And there's love and there's joy and there's peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in our life. But then think of Stephen's boldness and courage. A boldness and courage that comes through being filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter and the apostles, Stephen, Paul, all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered them to be bold fearless witnesses for Christ. Now, when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He came to live within you. Came to live within your heart. But there's another dimension of power we can experience. Remember what Jesus said in Acts 1.8? He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. You see, there's another dimension of power when the Holy Spirit can come upon us and make us bold and give us courage to be a witness for Christ. And for the apostles, that happened at Pentecost when all the believers were waiting for power from on high. And you might recall that Peter stood up, and speaking of the promised Holy Spirit, he said this. He said, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom God will call. So here's what Peter was saying. This promise of what happened at Pentecost is available to every believer today. We don't need another Pentecost. No more than we need another Calvary. What happened at the first Calvary is sufficient. And I believe what happened at the first Pentecost is sufficient. We just need to take hold of it and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us and fill us again and again and again. We get refills. You know, I love iced tea. When we go out to eat, I always get a refill on my iced tea. Then I get another refill. And the waitress asked me, sir, would you like another one? I said, yes. And then she asked me again. And I said, yeah, could you put one in a to-go cup for me? I get refills. My wife says I ought to just have an iced tea IV with a steady drip going into my veins all day. But you know, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and get refills again and again and again. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this command to be, notice it is a command. God commands us, be filled with the Spirit. And this command to be filled with the Spirit carries with it the idea that we should keep on being filled. That's what it literally means, keep on being filled. You see, God wants us to be under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, every true believer who has received Jesus Christ, has the Holy Spirit living within them. But not every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, it's one thing to be born again by the Spirit of God, but another thing to be filled with Him. One thing to have Him living in our lives, but another thing to have Him ruling in our hearts. One thing to have Him as a resident, another thing to have Him as a president, as sovereign king in control of our lives. You see, it's not how much of the Spirit we have but how much the Spirit has of us. 
And the question is, who's ruling my life? Is it self or is it Christ? So what does it take to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it take? I believe the key to being filled is a complete and total surrender to Jesus Christ. You know, God wants to fill us, but he can only fill those who wish to be emptied of self and yielded to him. First, any known sin must be confessed. Why? Because sin blocks the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves us. He's God, and God loves us. And when we sin, our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says we can quench the Holy Spirit, quench the Spirit, or put the Spirit's fire out, as some translations say. You see, when we fail to pray, when we fail to read God's Word, when we fail to witness, when we fail to step out in faith and do the things that God calls us to do, we quench the Holy Spirit. So we can grieve the Spirit and we can quench the Spirit. So there must be a daily surrender and repentance so that He can fill us again and again and empower us as we step out in faith to serve Him and to be a witness for Christ. But there's one last thing. We can resist the Holy Spirit. That was the sin of the religious leaders. This was the charge that Stephen brought against the Sanhedrin. He said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. He said, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts are hard. And you resist the Holy Spirit. You see, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to bring us to God. To draw us to God. Jesus said no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And he draws us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. And he tells us you're a sinner. And he shows us our need of a Savior. He tells you you need forgiveness. You need Jesus. You need to receive Jesus. But you see, we can resist him. We can resist the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit only takes us so far. He doesn't force His way upon us. He just stands at the door of our heart and He knocks, wanting to come in, wanting to fill us with His love, wanting to forgive our sins, wanting to have a relationship with us, wanting to give us the gift of eternal life. But we can resist Him and we can reject Him. Let me ask you something. Does Jesus live in your heart through the Holy Spirit? Are you sure of it? Are you sure that your sins are forgiven? Are you sure that if you died today, are you sure that you go to heaven? Because you see, if you're not sure, you can make sure today. And right now, maybe, maybe there's just one person in here. One person whom God loves so very, very much. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, I don't know if Jesus really lives in my heart. And I'm not really sure that my sins are forgiven. I'm not really sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. But I want to make sure. And I want that. And you ask, what would I have to do? First, you must just admit that you're a sinner. 
repent of your sins. Be willing to say, God, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. Will you help me to turn from my sin? And then by faith, look to the cross where God's love was poured out for you, where Jesus died for you. Because when he died on that cross, he was dying for you, for your sins. Then he rose from the dead and he stands at the door of your heart offering you forgiveness, wanting to come in, give you eternal life, wanting a relationship with you. So if you're here this morning, maybe, maybe you've thought about this before. And maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you're saying, I know I need Jesus. I know I need Christ to come and live within me. You know, I'm going to ask you, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Let Him come in. Let Him forgive your sin. Let Him give you a peace and a joy you've never known before. I'd like everyone to bow their heads right now in prayer. And if that's you this morning, and Father, I ask right now, there's someone here, and they're not sure that their sins are forgiven. They're not sure if they died, they go to heaven. Would you give them grace? Would you help them right now to just come to you? Come with their sin and say, oh God, I'm a sinner right now. They would pray this prayer, say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. Now I want you to come into my heart, into my life. Save me and make me the person you want me to be. Help me to follow you and serve you. In Jesus' name. Lord, there's others here. Maybe they have known you for many years and they've made a commitment to you. But they know that they're far from you right now and they have drifted away. Maybe there needs to be a rededication. Would you help them, Lord, right now to just rededicate their lives to you? Say, oh God, I've strayed and I've taken control of my life and I'm making a mess of it. Jesus, I want you to take control. I want to recommit my life to you. There's some of us here this morning and we have Sins in our life that we know are grieving the Holy Spirit. Would you help us to confess those right now? Would you give us power to turn from those sins? There may be some here who you have called us to do a certain thing and we haven't done it. We've been afraid. And we've quenched the Holy Spirit or we've quenched the Holy Spirit because we've neglected time in your word and time in prayer. Father, we don't want to quench the Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Spirit. Make us men and women who walk in the Spirit and who are filled with the Spirit. But we ask that you fill us Make us the people you want us to be. Help us to walk in your spirit daily. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.